I'm Lena van Zalberg for BizNews. Well, the fees for prospective UK visa applicants were increased just a few days ago, and the UK government is also considering an increase in its immigration health surcharge. Well, these changes are part of the efforts of the UK government to reduce the influx of immigrants to its shores. So what do these developments signify for South Africans aspiring to apply for a UK visa or a work permit? Well, to shed light on that, I've got JP Breitenbach from Breitenbach's Immigration Consultants with me. JP, great to have you. It's a pleasure to be here, Linda. Thank you for your time. So can you provide an um, sort of an overview of these recent changes in UK visa requirements? Absolutely. It, it, it's something that, that caught all of us off guard a little bit. Um, the, the UK actually upped their fees uh, yesterday. So, so today, in fact, is when the new uh, fees for the processing of the visas uh, come into force. So it was qu- quite a rush to get everything in by the end of play yesterday. So to avoid many of our plans, it's increased. It's quite a substantial increase, a lot more than we've ever seen in one go. The, the government also, in addition to upping the fees for the processing, which they justify by saying they haven't done so for a number of years, inflation, they want to cover the costs for processing of the visas, they've also notified everybody that they're going to increase the IHS, or the Immigration Health Surcharge, quite substantially. Now, the difference is, when they want to increase the Immigration Health Surcharge, that actually has to go through Parliament. They can't just decide one day, this is what we want to do. There's been a lot of pushback against this from various industry groups. It is almost becoming prohibitively expensive to immigrate to the UK. Hmm. The immigration health surcharge is a particularly vexing issue for, for many of our clients because you pay for it in advance for five years, for example. If the new fees come in, as they've suggested they will, they haven't given exact numbers, but they sort of indicated percentages, then it might very well cost for one individual uh, on an ancestral visa, for example, which is valid for five years, over £5,000 that they'll have to fork out simply for the IHS fees, never mind all the other fees. In addition to that, once they start working in the UK, they don't get a rebate once they start paying national insurance contributions, which of course again goes to the, a large part of that goes to the NHS. And they do not have the choice to elect to, instead of paying the government, rather getting private medical care or cover, which I think would have been a sensible option. But be it as it may, we'll have to wait and see what happens. We are estimating that January will probably be the month when clarity will hopefully be given. Can you get, just give us a bit more clarity on those fees? Say a family of four, mom, dad, two kids, or you know, two partners, kids, and want to come to the UK. What would it cost them? Rough, rough estimate, given that I haven't done maths in a standard eight. Um, you'll be probably looking at simply on IHS fees at about three, three and a half thousand pounds um, for the children, um, and then for the parents over five. So what's that ten? Just under 20, 18, 17, 18,000 pounds. That's just for the IHS fees. Uh, on the example of an ancestral visa, then of course you have the application fees, which is 600 pounds odd, and the TB test fees, and so on and so forth. So it does add up. Yeah, yeah all, all that really adds up. Um, and I see there's also 
Um, the Migration Advisory Committee has re recommended abolishing what they call the shortage occupation list. How would that affect, I don't know if it's going to happen, but how would that affect South Africans wanting to apply? It won't affect anybody. The, the, maybe just to take a step back and explain what it is. Mm -hmm. Prior to Brexit, so, so you always have a pre-Brexit and a post-Brexit worldview as far as immigration is concerned. Post-Brexit, many things changed. Uh, the Migration Advisory Committee, their job is to effectively evaluate the labor market and then suggest positions that there's a shortage of. Now, in the past, prior to Brexit, if your position was on the shortage occupation list, you didn't have to advertise the position as an employer. It used to be called the resident labor market test and justify why you want to employ that specific individual, which was tricky. Uh, in addition to that, there was an annual cap on the amount of skilled worker visas that could be issued, if uh, about 20 or, 22 or 1,000, um, which is not a lot for an economy the size of, of the UK's. And therefore, if you were on this shortage occupation list, the post didn't have to be advertised and you didn't fall under this cap. So it was a big thing. However, now post-Brexit, that resident labor market test has fallen away and also the annual cap has been abolished. So there are very few benefits really for somebody whose position is on the shortage occupation list. There are benefits, but nothing in comparison to the way it was prior to, to Brexit. Well, we have to understand that, that Brexit, whatever one's political views and views on it is, has had a massive impact on the labor market in the UK. Uh, whereas previously, you had hundreds of thousands of European citizens who could simply get an airplane or on a ferry or whatever and go to the UK to work and who contributed enormously to the GDP and, and everything in the UK, frankly. Almost overnight, that stopped. So me as an employer, if I want to employ a solicitor in London, it's difficult to find somebody at times because I don't have access to all those European talent, European individuals that I used to have access to. So now I've got a sponsor. But many European citizens, frankly, why would they go through the process if they could just go to France or Germany or Spain or something, depending on where they want to go and depending on where they're from, which has left a massive issue. The government attempted to address this with expanding effectively the skilled worker route in order to get more skilled folk into the UK to try and cover this gap. Um, it was impossible, and I think it was overly optimistic from the British government, if I can be so bold as to say that, to think that all these positions would just be filled by, by UK citizens overnight. It's, it's impossible. There's not enough people who were trained, etc., etc. Um, and they're sort of idea of using technology, uh, it, it just doesn't work like that. Um, so I think they've realized that and they've tried to expand on the skilled worker. And that's why they've abolished things like the resident labor market test and so on to make it a lot easier. It's actually pretty easy now uh, to get a skilled worker permit. So, so what did you find before that first set of fees went up? Have a lot of South Africans applied or used services like yours? Yes. So, so we've seen... Um, obviously, prior to Brexit, a, a large influx of South African citizens of European passports mm. to the UK because they wanted to make that deadline. There's always been a, a push factor out of South Africa, uh, and traditionally, there's been a very strong pull factor into the into the UK. In the last year or so, things have been a little bit tricky with the economy and so on, but but we still certainly see that. 
I sort of profile of client have changed a little bit. Uh, I personally do a lot more sort of corporate work, high net worth work, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of businesses looking to expand into the UK, sort of rich market saturation in South Africa, for example, got a good product and believe they can compete globally and they really can. If I look at the success of many of the clients we've taken over to the UK over the years. Uh, but but I think we'll always have a need uh, as South Africans to, to go to the UK, given all the cultural ties, the historic ties and so forth. So in light of all these changes, how would you tell clients to navigate if they still want a UK visa or work permit, even if they want to go temporary and work there or if they actually want to immigrate? Uh, I would advise them to, to do so carefully and to make sure they plan things properly. We found, generally speaking, if you plan things properly, you get good advice and you're not in a rush and things tend to work out. The UK... They've opened up different options. They've changed previous options, tweaked them a little bit, called them something new. But but many of the options pretty much stay the same. Uh, to sort of illustrate that, there's a category called the expansion worker, uh, which used to be called the sole representative of an overseas business. The idea behind it really is you've got a business, let's say in South Africa, that business wants to expand to the UK, to identify a senior member of staff, company gets created in the UK, that senior member of staff goes across for two years and then that company gets licensed and then you fall under the skilled worker category again, which is sort of their premier route. So it's very clever in a way. So you get people there and then they go onto the skilled worker route. Because of course, it's easier for government to manage that, right? They've got all the systems to manage skilled workers. Uh, so that's the main difference, right? So it's Exactly the same as it was. The main difference is that you now have to fall eventually under the skilled worker category. That's quite a popular category for many of our clients. Uh, another one that they've changed recently is the innovator founder visa. Effectively, the idea there is that you apply, you've got an innovative and scalable business idea, uh, and you then apply to what's known as an endorsement body, and that endorsement body endorses you, and you can go to the UK to operate that business. Now, what they've done, which is interesting, you used to have a minimum amount of money that you had to invest into that business. This will replace the old tier one entrepreneur route where you used to have to have £200,000. was reduced in effect to £50,000, and now there's no, no amount needed. And you can also work full-time in a, in a capacity whilst you are getting your business up and running. So... It's clear that the government, in a sense, is still very much pro-immigration. They have to be. What I believe makes it very difficult for the government, not in their defense, but to an extent. You know, we had Brexit, which was an amazing upheaval. Then we had the Ukraine uh, war, which, well, is, which is, of course, unfortunately still ongoing. Um, uh, my team and I assisted many of the Ukrainian refugees, especially in the beginning. Uh, the Law Society made a call for for practitioners to do that, and we did try to do our part, but many, many other firms, of course, did their part as well. But that sort of stopped a lot of these projects and plans that the government had in its tracks for a while. And we're seeing those sort of slowly coming to the fore again. A good example, uh, in June 28th of last year, there was a new British Nationality Act that came into force. There were very far-reaching changes for anybody who has a claim to British nationality. Um, that law should have come in much earlier, but because of everything that happened, it only came in quite a bit later. 
and the processing times there are usually looking at a year, whereas a normal processing time you're looking at say three months or so. But it is slowly getting better. The government, ha- you know, they really are trying their best, and I think they they are slowly getting ahead of of their own sort of backlog that that was created. And what do you think the message is of the British government to people who want to immigrate? Because first of all, people are worried about the people just coming over with boats from the cha- you know, over the channel from France, and, and the, the, the influx have been huge. And the, the, the coming election is all about immigration. But do you think the message is yes, we're trying to curb that, but you know, skilled people, we still want you. Skilled people, absolutely, still still wanted. Uh, That'll, that'll never change, um, given the demographics of the United Kingdom. You know, you've got an aging populace, uh, low birth rates, you know, good old inverted pyramid that most of the Western countries had. Without migrants uh, to sort of fill that, that tax base in the labor market, you're not going to have enough taxes and revenues to look after the older folks when they get to that stage. And of course, the UK have got a, you know, with the NHS, all these state pension and so on and so forth that many people rely very heavily on. Um, so, so I don't think that'll ever change. There is a big difference between refugees and asylum seekers, of course, and then economic migrants, if you will, who, who are sponsored and a skilled worker and so on and so forth. It, it seems to me the bigger issue and what is troubling to the, the UK populace and the politicians are the, more the refugees and asylum seekers. Uh, and it's a very difficult not to crack because a lot of those people are you know they really are in a bad spot but of course there are people taking a chance as well it's it's incredibly difficult and i've got a lot of sympathy for the government how they're going to sort that out but they can't really go without migration uh there just isn't enough physically isn't enough british citizens in my mind to fill every every position that needs filled. So, JP, what about people who are not thinking of the UK, um, of the EU? Are there any changes there coming that we they need to know about? So, all, all the massive changes, of course, happened just prior to Brexit. Um, and one had to sort of jump quite quickly as an EU citizen to sort out your status. It, it's almost as if the British government are now looking to ease those individuals who are on what's known as pre-settled status, trying to ease them onto their way to settled status. They announced not too long ago that if you are an EU citizen living and working in the UK on pre-settled status, in other words, you were there before Brexit, that you registered with the British government pre-settled status, that your stay will automatically be extended by two years without you having to do anything. Um, so there's a lot less admin there. And then also they announced that they are very seriously looking at those individuals then obtaining what's known as settled status, which is the penultimate step of the settled status you get British citizenship. Um, for them to automatically be given uh, settled status. Because, of course, the government's got all your records. And when one looks at the requirements to get settled status as an EU citizen, it's not that onerous. So the government can sort of almost automatically tell you yes or no. How that's going to work out, I don't know. Uh, But that's the plan. So is there anything else South Africans should know if they're thinking of going to the UK or... There's a couple of things. The first thing I would say is if they have any British lineage, uh, grandparents, great-grandparents born in the United Kingdom, they can definitely consider looking at the, the new legislation that was passed. Uh, a lot of it's got to do with anti-discrimination legislation, to very briefly illustrate. It used to be the case if you were born before 1983 to a British-born mother and you were born abroad, she couldn't pass on her citizenship to you, the father could. Um, then that sort of 
changed retrospectively. Um, but then it was only if your mother was born in the UK, not if she was born abroad to a British-born father, because she would have been British by descent, but if she was male, she could have done it. It's a case called the case of Romaine, which is a very famous case in our in our other world, uh, which changed that. And now this this new act that came in in 2022 uh, uh, sort of tried to expand that further. You know, if you've got a British-born grandmother, you couldn't pass it on to her daughter, but her husband could have passed it on. Then the daughter couldn't pass it on to you, but now you can get it right. So, so there's a lot of changes like that um, that has occurred. So I think that's very much uh, worth looking into. And then planning for your children, you know, um, for them to go study in the UK on completion, they can do what's known as a graduate visa, get a skilled worker. There definitely is a a large amount of options actually, but planning, planning, planning. That, that's the key thing. You know, if, if this is something somebody wants to evaluate, you know, speak to us, somebody like us, let's make a plan that's feasible, you know, and then work that plan. And then generally speaking, things tend to work out. Is it possible to do it on your own or do you think you need a service like yours? Well, it's absolutely possible to do it on your own uh, if one is so inclined, but it does depend on what it is that you want to do. The saddest cases that comes across my desk, frankly, are people who did it on their own, all that bad advice, a refusal, then they want us to appeal it. And sometimes we simply can't help them. Um, you know, I, I would at least encourage somebody, even if they want to do it on their own, just go speak to somebody, do a consultation at least, just get you know, true advice and then make the decision on what they want to do. Be careful of the Facebook groups, best intent ever. Um, <laughs> The only issue there is a lot of the advice that, that people give there, 100% correct, if you applied a year ago or two years ago, you know, when they applied. So there's just so many changes that happen so quickly. So just a word to the wise, be careful, get professional advice from whoever is qualified to give it to you, do it properly and it'll be okay. Yes. So just careful you don't rely on old advice because it changes so fast. This is the thing, and and it not only changes so fast in terms of legislative change, but also the methodology of applying. You know, the silliest things, forms change, the way you apply change, and and you really have to be. You know, they keep us on their toes, shall we say, uh, to make sure that none of the small things are missed. In summary, is it still possible? Is it too expensive? Absolutely possible. Some would say it's more possible than ever before. Yes, it is expensive. However, compare that to your medical aid, for example, cost of living in South Africa. Really go do your maths. It's, it's a very different way of working out budgets when you live in the UK. Uh, I do believe it's, it's, it's worth it if that is something you want to do, especially for the children. Um, 90% of our, our class do it for children, really. Nothing's forever. After six years, you're a British citizen, and then you can sort of relook at everything. Absolutely possible, though, and there are really quite a lot of options. The UK is still pro-immigration, even though uh, it wouldn't always look that way. JP Vredenbach, thank you so much. Thank you, Lennart. It's a pleasure.